0: Okay, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 this morning, or uh, as we continue. Uh, my, my daughter is a uh, really great Bible teacher. In fact, all three of my uh, daughters are just really, really great. They're very animated in, in teaching. My, my daughter, uh, Charity, uh, homeschools all four of her children, and uh, her oldest one, is Trey, he's now 14 years old, but when he was four or five years old, she was teaching him the stories of creation, the days, days of creation, and uh, took them all through day one, day two, day three, day four, uh, day five, got all the way to day six, and then she was telling him the story of the creation of the animals and, 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 and everything, and then she got to the story of the creation of, of, uh, of man. And she said, then what happened was as God, was, God created man, uh, he, this is how he did it, Trey. He reached down into the dirt, and he grabbed the dirt. He made the body of man out of dirt. And then, Trey, Trey she, he, he breathed into the nostrils of that man. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And do you know, Trey, who that first man was? And Trey said, Darth Vader? (laughs) It's a little confused. The world's confused about what we should believe and what we shouldn't believe, but... But that story of creation is, is mentioned in Genesis chapter, three, or Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read that uh, together. It says this, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the Lord God took the man, after he created him, Genesis chapter 1 talks about the creation of man, talks about... Uh, just generally says that on the sixth day, God created man in his image and in his likeness. And so we get that, that general statement in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3, we get some of the details, or in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, we get the details filled in of how he did that. And the Bible says, and the Lord God, after he created him, took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden and he, to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest to eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. When I read that, I remember another story by James Dobson that he told about himself when his children... Ryan and Danielle were very young. He said one day his wife Shirley walked into his office and said, now James, I'm leaving for a little while. I'm gonna be gone. And while I'm gone, you're gonna be responsible for the kids. Are you gonna be okay? Are you gonna watch them? Like any mother would say to the father. And he said, he said, of course, I'll, I'll watch the children. This is James Dobson, right? And so, uh, yeah, I'll take care of it, no problem. She said, are you going to watch them? Are you going to be away?" Yes, I'll, I'll take care of it, no problem. So he walks out, walks her out, kisses her goodbye. She leaves, and, and there's Ryan and Danielle. They're playing in the, in the living room. He goes back into the den where he's studying. And uh, he gets consumed with what he's studying, and about a half hour, an hour or an hour goes by. Some time goes by. And all of a sudden he realizes it's very quiet. There's no noise and he walks back out there and there's Danielle in the same place she was before playing and she eats, but there's no Ryan. He said, where's Ryan? And she said, I don't know. And he looks around and he looks all through the house and Ryan's not there. He immediately goes out to the front yard. There's nobody out in the front yard and he's thinking, where in the world did Ryan go? And he said he wasn't so concerned about Ryan as he was w- about what Shirley was going to do to him uh, when she got back and Ryan wasn't there. And so he walked out to the backyard. He went to the backyard, and he's looking around. He said out in the back of the backyard, there was, a, there was an alleyway, and there was a truck parked in that alleyway. And he, and he looked out in the alleyway, and he saw Ryan hanging from the back of the truck his little feet were dangling and he was saying something it wasn't like he was screaming or anything he was just he was just saying something and and his feet were dangling and they were kicking and as he got back there he could hear some he could hear Ryan's little voice saying somebody help the boy would somebody please help the boy I think of that when I read this, that God looked at man and said, that boy needs help. Uh, that boy is not going to do well on his own. He needs something. He needs a help that is fit just for him because he's not going to do good by himself. A man never wants to admit that he needs help. but to, And your husband may say, I can do this. I'm a man. I can do this thing. But he, the fact of the matter is he was created with a need. And the need was you he he was created with a need the bible says and the lord god said it's not good that man should be alone i will make him a help that is fit or meet for him and out of the ground now this is interesting because we know from genesis chapter one that god had already created all of the animals and then he created man but the bible repeats and out of the ground the lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air now, here's what God does. He says, this boy needs help, but he, he's not gonna know what he needs. And he's gonna think, if, he's, if it's not, if he, I mean, he's thick, so he, he's, not gonna, he's not gonna catch it unless, he, unless I, I point this out, that nothing else is gonna meet the need except the one I'm gonna create for him. So God says, uh, the boy needs help, I'm gonna have him name every one of the animals on the planet. And so he brings by every animal. He says, you have a need, yeah, I have a need. Uh, Do you want the elephant? No, I don't want the elephant. Do you want the giraffe? No, I don't want the giraffe. Do you want the skunk? No, I don't want the skunk. How about a dog? Can dog be man's best friend? No, I don't want the dog. And he brings the cat, and he brings the rhinoceros, and he he brings the bobcat, and he brings the lion, and none of them. The Bible says, and he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So he names every one of them. But look at this sad verse in verse 20. And Adam gave names to all of the cattle and the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. Now listen, but for Adam there was not found a help meat for him. Everybody say, oh aw. aw. Nobody for Adam. He's named everything, every creature on the planet, and not he doesn't want any of them to be his help meet. And so the Bible says the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of, the, one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and he brought her unto the man. And, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bone. You see the excitement that's there? This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. I heard a comedian say one time, we don't know exactly why he called her woman, except that maybe he looked at her and said, whoa, man, that's exactly what I've been wanting. That's, that's exact. God, you knew it. You knew exactly what I wanted. He looks at her and he said, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not afraid. See, here's the deal. God made man, and then he realized that man was no good on his own, and so he made a help that was just fit for him. And God made man happy with that, and then God made him make a commitment. And then God allowed the man to have the woman. And God, he looked at her, and he said, man, I looked, I, he looked at her, he didn't have a conversation with her, he didn't, he didn't have any emotional, and he just looked at her and said, wow, this is what I want. I want her, and God said you can have her if you make a commitment for life. There's several things that we see in here. Again, this is not what the world thinks anymore, but I'm I'm telling you this. If you want to be a kingdom wife, if you want to be the kind of wife that God intends for you to be, then there's certain things that you've got to realize. And Number one, you need to realize that you were created to be his helpmate. You were created to be his helpmate. There is no way that he can be what God wants him to be without you. You make your husband succeed. You make your husband succeed. Uh, Years ago, in in the 1960s, the youngest man to ever be uh, uh, the president of the United States was John F. Kennedy. When he was... When he, when he was inaugurated as president, as soon after his inauguration, he flew to Europe to, uh, to talk to all the European allies. And he, he t- when he left, he took with him his wife, Jackie. And so John uh, Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy traveled to Europe to meet all the heads of the European nations. He traveled all over all the different European nations for several weeks. And uh, as he traveled, a funny thing took place. All the headlines in all the European papers were not about John F. Kennedy, but they were about Jackie Kennedy. It was Jackie is now is, was in, at, th- at this bazaar. Jackie was in this location. Jackie wore this. Jackie talked... this group of people, it was Jackie, 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 everything was all about Jackie Kennedy and how wonderful she was and what she was doing and who she visited and who she cared for and all that she did. They got to the end of that European tour and they were having a big banquet with all the heads of states from all the European countries. The moderator of that banquet stood up and he introduced, and now I want to introduce you the President of the United States the latest president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, and he got up and he said this. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. He said, I would like to introduce myself. He said, I'm the man that accompanied Jackie uh, to the European nations the last couple of weeks. And what was he doing? He was recognizing the fact of her importance in his life and in his administration, her involvement in what he was doing. Your husband will not be what God wants him to be without your involvement in his dreams. And you need to understand that. God wants you to understand that. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 23 says, Her husband is known in the gates. The gates was where the leaders of the community met together to make decisions for the community. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. It's as though, it's as though uh, the people are saying, oh, there's that guy. He's the guy that's married to that woman. Oh, he's the guy that's married to that woman. He's the guy that's that... that, that uh, She has such an influence and such a a powerful influence in his life. You need to understand that your husband cannot be what God wants him to be without you. You were created, number one, to be his helpmate. Number two, this is again, you need to understand to be a kingdom wife, you need to be then in subjection to your husband. And that's the word that God uses. That's the word God uses. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6, the Bible says this. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word, and the word the there is is actually the word a, it means without a word from you. They they, they, They may also without a word from you If any obey not the word of God, they may, without a word from you, be won by the conversation. The word conversation means lifestyle of the wives. While they behold your chaste lifestyle or your chaste conversation, they're watching your pure lifestyle coupled with fear. The word fear means respect. Whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair or the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. This is not saying that you can't wear jewelry and it's not saying you shouldn't fix your hair because it's not saying that you shouldn't put on apparel. God wants you to put clothes on. God wants you, it's all right for you to, 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 to wear makeup. It's all right for you to do these things. Um, he's not saying don't do these things. He's saying those are the primary thing. Those are not, should not be the primary thing that attracts people to you. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in old times, holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. That does not say that a woman is less than a man. It's saying that she, she chooses to place herself under the leadership of her husband. And, and her own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. The idea of being afraid with any amazement is you're panicked out about the circumstances that are going on in the world. Wow, look at what's going on in China. Look what's going on in, in, in America. Look what's going on in Washington, D.C. Look what's going on. Listen to the sirens. What in the world is going on? It's not, it's, it's, it's saying, I trust God to direct me through my husband. You say, well, that wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't be so hard if I was Sarah and I had Abraham, a godly man like Abraham as my husband. Yes, a wonderful man who was so protective of his wife that when they went down into Egypt, he said, now listen, I'm not telling you to lie. Just don't tell the whole truth. Uh, you tell them when they ask you who you are, you tell them you're my sister, my kinswoman, uh, that, that, uh, and that way they won't come after me, they won't, they won't try to kill me for you, uh, great guy, and you just pretend, uh, you, just, you just tell them that, just don't tell them that we're married uh, because then my life might be in danger. Who cares if your life is in danger? Uh, but my, my life won't be in danger. So, so she would have to say to uh, the Egyptians that wanted her, uh, no, I don't want you just because I don't, uh, and, uh, and reject them. And that would put her life in danger. Wonderful guy to be married to. Uh, yet God says here, look, what I want you to do is by your lifestyle, I want you to win your husband by your obedience to him. Do what he wants you to do and, and, let, and trust God to w- work through your husband. Now, in order to be in subjection to your husband, there's several things. Number one, you need to understand what he wants to do. That means, husbands, that you need to talk to your wives. You need to share with them your dreams and your desires and your goals. Understand what he wants to do. Number two, be involved in his dreams. Be involved in his dreams. Find out what it is that he wants to do and then get involved don't just say, okay, great, have a good time, enjoy that. From time to time, somebody will come to me and say say they're, they're planning on getting married. And, and I, I say, well, you're, you're planning to get married and you're engaged and, and you're gonna go into the ministry. What does your, your fiance think about you going into the ministry? And, the, and this response will be, the response will be, oh, well, she's fine with me going into the ministry. Well, what's she gonna do? Oh, well, she's got her own plans, but she doesn't mind me being in the ministry at all. That doesn't work. The idea is she needs to be involved in the ministry. You were in the mission field for 22 years. Is that correct? You were in Africa for 22 years. That's an amazing. You have heroes of the faith that go to this church. You're, you're amazing. Um, how would that work if your wife said, oh, i am all for you being in the the ministry great enjoy the mission field but I'm going to do my own thing we'll be married but I'll do my own it doesn't work that doesn't work the idea is you have to be involved in his dreams you have to want to be involved in his dreams ask him what would you like to accomplish this next year what do you want to do this next year and then ask the question and mean it how can I help how can I help my wife and I are in a transition period in our life we've for 46 years pastored the same church in Las Vegas Nevada and now we're transitioning out of that into a traveling ministry and uh, we've been in this transition period and and for 46 years I've been saying this is what we're doing this is what we're doing this is what we're doing now I'm saying okay God what are we doing And, uh, and, uh, and slowly following God's direction she has to be willing to interact with me about that and say okay I want to be involved in that and she is involved she's in a in a uh, travel trailer traveling across the United States with me and we're bouncing around uh, the country and uh, she's she she is heavily involved and uh, we're we're constantly working through that that's that's part of life together center your life around his desires Center your, li- your, your life around his desires. Become his lifelong personal secretary. I think one of the greatest illustrations of, I, I, I've ever seen of that is um, a doctor and Mrs. Arlen Horton. Started the uh, Pensacola Christian College uh, but before that, they started a little academy called A-Beck Academy. They were called, or or, or they were, it, it was called Pensacola Christian Academy. Some businessmen in Pensacola, Florida, called up to Michigan. They were living in the Michigan area. And they, they called and said, um, uh, we would like to have to interview you about helping us start a school down there. And they went down there. It's just a, a small group of people. And they said, well, uh, the, the, I can remember Dr. Horton saying this. He said, we, we thought, wow, if we ever would have a 100 kids, that would be huge. What a huge group we would be ministering to. Um, he went down there and he talked to the businessmen. He, they interviewed him and he said this. He said, you need to understand this. And he said this at his 60th anniversary when he was retiring from the ministry. He said, he said I told them at that time that if you get me, you get my wife because we are a team and I couldn't do what I do without her. And for 60 years they served together, her being his personal secretary. He was a great success because she made him that and he would tell you that to, the, to this day. This passage says that you will win your husband by a chaste life coupled with fear. Now that sounds sort of, Strong, but here's what it means. The word chaste means pure. That you're living a pure life in front of him. The word fear does not mean you're trembling in fear that he's going to oppress you. But it's the idea of the fear of not pleasing him. A respect for his idea. The idea, respect for his idea. It's a pure life that reflects your trust in him and a desire to please him. That does not mean that you don't have an opinion and that you, you shouldn't share your thoughts and your opinions. My wife has an opinion about everything. She does. My wife and I are two very opinionated, very determined people. And for that reason, in the last 46 years, we've had many, many very interesting, strong discussions about what we should or shouldn't be doing. I remember I was at the Bill Rice Ranch and uh, the founder of the bill rice ranch was bill rice uh, jr and his wife kathy rice dr and mrs kathy rice well i i only met dr rice one time and that was when i was in college but late, years later i became friends with dr bill the third and his mother liked me and so his mother kathy rice uh, just uh she whenever we would come to the Bill Rice Ranch, my wife and I would go and and, uh, eat with Mrs. Rice. And one day she decided to take us a, a tour of the office complex of the Bill Rice Ranch. And we're walking around and I have her on one side one arm and i have my wife on the other arm and we're walking and she's saying this is one of my uh, this is a picture of my husband and this is one of his sayings they have all of his sayings uh, on on the walls and she said this and she said she was showing us different things and my wife said something about one of the comments and i stopped and i said Mrs. I, or I'm walking, I said, Mrs. Rice, my wife has an opinion about everything, and she stopped. Now, Mrs. Rice had a high, squeaky voice, so she talked like this. This is exactly what she talked like, and we're walking, and I said, Mrs. Rice, I said, my wife has an opinion about everything, and she stopped. She's like 86 years old. She stopped in her, in her steps, and she looked up at me, and she said, Brother Tice, if a woman doesn't have an opinion about everything, then she's good for nothing. And I said, okay, learned a lesson. Okay, so I walked along. I got a, got a pretty good wife. And uh, I just think it's really important that you understand God's not saying you shouldn't share your heart. It's, it's that you need to, uh, you need to uh, follow him uh, and, and be willing to submit to him. His heart should be able to trust you. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 12 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. My wife should be able to say whatever she wants to and be absolutely confident that no matter what she says to me, I will be there that evening. And I should be able to have a conversation with her and talk about anything we want and know that, that no matter what happens, we're going to be together that evening. It's so important. I, 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 uh, I have never, ever in my w- life ever doubted that when I went home, my wife was going to be there. She was going to be there with us. through. Th- we made a commitment. We were going to do this through thick and thin no matter what. So you're, Your husband needs to have that total trust in you in order to become what God wants him to be. So, again, you were created to be his helpmeet. You need to be in subjection to your husband. Number three, you need to be available to your husband every way, all the time. You need to be available to your husband every way, all the time. I will have wives say to me from time to time, my wife and I, we never counsel. I never counsel a woman by myself. I always am with my, with my wife if we're counseling women. But I've, I've, we've had women over the years saying, all my husband thinks about is one thing. It's just one thing that's on his mind constantly. But I, you need to understand that God created your husband that way. He created your husband with a need for you. He needs you. In fact, God commands the man to be ravished with his wife. God commands him. He commands him to be focused on his wife and go to his wife to meet his physical needs. In Proverbs chapter 5 and verses 15 through 18, here's what God says. He he, He compares the wife to a fountain. And he says, drink waters of thine own cistern and running waters of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of water in the street. That is, enjoy it bountifully. Let them be only thine own and not as strangers with thee. That is, when the the fountain produces more water, that's representative of children, let them be only your children. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Enjoy each other. Let her be as a loving hind and a pleasant roe. Then God gets very specific. He says, Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. That is, love her, be ravished with her love, think about her. When temptations come your way to look at something or someone else, no think back about your wife and be ravished with your wife think about the pleasures that you have with her focus on her one of my favorite all-time catholic christmas movies is it's a wonderful life if you've ever watched a wonderful life raise your hand here it is okay see uh uh here we are in a baptist church all admitting to watching a catholic christmas movie you say how do you know it's catholic well at the very beginning they pray to joseph and mary and to everybody else but it's just a movie and it's a fun little movie i like that and then in fact i can quote many parts of the movie because we've watched it so many times i think i have about three copies at my house right now uh and my children steal them so i have to come and get uh other copies and so uh but uh, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is um, a scene where George, who is the who's um, is, is the hero of the movie, George uh, lives in this little small town. He's standing with a uh, a cop. The cop's name is Bert, and there's a cab driver. Whose name is Ernie? That's Bert and Ernie, and so, uh, and they're in this. Uh, they're they're all talking. They're in downtown, and Ernie is a single man, and and um, George is a single man, and Bert is a married man, and they're talking. Well, there's a there's a town. There's a, a woman in the town. It's not a good woman. Her name is Violet Biggs, and uh, and and Violet these three men are standing here, they're facing the sidewalk and and they're talking and Violet comes walking by. And as she's walking by, uh, George says, uh, whoa, uh, because she's just walking by. And Ernie said, yeah. And he says, and George says to Violet, he says, whoa, Violet, nice dress. And Violet says, oh, this old thing? And she flips her hair back and says, this is what I wear when I don't have anything else to wear. And then she goes on down the road. George says, whoa. Ernie said, yeah. And Bert says this. This is what I like. Bert says, I think I need to go home. And he goes home to his wife. He said, in fact, my wife is waiting at home. And he goes home to his wife. You say, why do you like that? I like that because that's what a man's supposed to do. A man's supposed to be ravished always with his wife. And if a temptation comes his way to look at something that is improper, he's supposed to be able to say, my wife is at home, and I'm ravished always with his wife that's what he should be saying. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 1 through 5, I think it's in your notes, it says, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, obviously these people in Corinth were like Las Vegans. These were people who had been involved in every type of immorality, all sorts of terrible wickedness, probably married and divorced, and uh, there's just uh, all sorts of different things they would have been involved in before they got saved, but now they got saved and they don't want to be living in immorality anymore. They don't want to do immoral things. They don't want to live in fornication. So they write and they ask Paul, how do we avoid sexual sin? How do we avoid immorality? And this is what he says. He writes back. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. You wrote to ask me about this. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. If you want to stay morally pure, keep your hands to yourself. If we told our children as they were growing up, you don't touch, you don't hold hands, you don't kiss, you don't do any of that before you get married or before, uh, at least a, at, when you get engaged, when it's finally set, but you keep your hands to yourself because, but because a dating is for the purpose of spiritual unity, uh, uh, engagement is for the purpose of social unity, and then marriage is for the purpose of physical unity, and so you keep your hands to yourself. Paul says here, you want to stay clean, you want to stay morally pure, keep, and you, you, you don't want to be, and you want to remain single, if you want to remain single, then keep your hands to yourself. Good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, he says, to avoid fornication, to avoid sexual sin, if you want to be with somebody physically, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to the wife due benevolence. And let likewise also the wife unto the husband. That is, husbands love your wives the way she wants to be loved. How you get married and then love your hu- hu- wife the way she wants to be loved. And wives love your husband the way he wants to be loved. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise, the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another except with consent for a time that you, being, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. That word incontinency means lack of self-control. So what he's saying is very simply this. If you want to stay single and pure, keep your hands to yourself. But if you, don't want to, if you don't want to keep your hands to yourself, then get married. And then love your wife the way she wants to be loved. Wives, love your husbands the way, uh, the way he wants to be loved. Give yourselves one to another. And he says the only time you shouldn't be together physically is, to fa- is for fasting and praying. He says you need to be together physically as much as you need to eat. And if you're going to stop eating, then you can stop being together physically. And if you're not going to stop eating, then you need to be together as husband and wife. I'm saying that as clearly as I can say it without being too graphing. I want you to understand what God is saying. He says your incontinency, that means lack of self-control. The reason you got married wasn't just to talk. The reason you got married was because you had a need. Your husband, it's not a matter, it's not a matter of, oh, well, whenever. It's a matter of he needs you. And God gave you to him because he needs you. God says in this passage not to deny each other physical access except to fast and pray because of your incontinency or your lack of self-control. Very, very important that you understand this. Now, husbands, you don't need to say this and repeat this verse over and over to your wives, just like she shouldn't be repeating all that we talked to you about as a husband. But it's important, ladies, that you understand this. Your husband needs you to be available. He needs you to be available. The greatest insult that you can give to your husband is to turn away from him physically Your husband needs support and he gets that from your physical submission to him. Just like a woman needs security and she gets that from sensitivity, from the sensitivity of her husband, your your husband needs support and he gets that from your submission to him. The greatest insult you can give your husband is to turn away from him physically. This is what it says. It says, I don't admire you and i've had wives say no that's not what i'm trying to say but that's what it says to your husband it says i don't want you it says you don't stimulate me it makes him feel like less of a man it decimates his self-confidence why don't why my husband just want to go out and just do it it decimates his self-confidence. It makes him angry. Why is my husband so angry all the time? Now, I say this last one with a condition. I want you to understand, man, this is not, there's no legitimate reason for a man to ever be unfaithful to his wife. You as a Christian have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. He produces temperance, which means self-control. Uh, and so, and, and men for years have said, well, I'm, I was unfaithful because of. No, you, you were unfaithful because you lacked self-control, you weren't submitting to the spirit, but it can lead to unfaithfulness. And we need to understand that. Now, I say all that, and I, with this understanding that the woman is the responder, she was created that way, to be the responder in the relationship. But Jesus represents the groom, and here's what Jesus does. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, he says, "Come unto me." all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The, the, as the husband, he's always available. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. So here's what he does. He invites the bride to come. Number two, he always welcomes us as the bride. We're always welcome. He gives us rest. When we come to him, he gives us rest. Sometimes you think, man, if I take all this time to pray, I'm, gonna, it's just, I'm not going to get anything done. But when we come to him and we go to him in prayer, then we find rest. Even though our flesh is saying, no, I don't want to do that. He shows his desires to us. And a husband needs to show his desires to his wife. But listen, as the bride... We are happy when we respond. As the bride, we are happy when we respond. So respond to your husband. When your husband approaches you, respond as you would to Christ. It's so important that you understand that you were created to be his help meet, and that he needs you to be available in every way all the time. Number four, you need to be present and interested when your husband's at home. Oh, wait a minute. I skipped one. You need to be attractive for your husband. A woman will dress up to go out oftentimes. But let me encourage you from time to time that a woman should dress up to be at home with your husband. Just to be at home with him. Oh, what did you do? What are you all decked out for? I did this for you. Oh, wow. Fix your hair for him. Wear a nice dress for him. Wear perfume for him. We live in a world where people, where women are taught to dress sensually. and They're out in the world dressing sensually. And that's so wrong. You should dress sensually for your husband. For him. And only for him. Then number five, you need to encourage your husband. Your husband's going to come up with plans. You, you, we're talking about, uh, we've talked to your husband about sharing his desires with you. Uh, he, so he comes up with a financial plan, comes up with a spiritual plan, comes up with a ministry plan. Say, hey, let's do this together in ministry. Or let's go here. Let's physically, Let you know what we need to do? We need to start walking. We need to start walking a mile a day. Uh, we're just going to, we're going to start Uh, doing that I (laughs) I heard the story of a lady who was uh who who went to a a seminar and heard and she was she was not doing well physically and the guy said you uh, need to start walking four miles a day if you walk four miles a day it'll change your entire life you'll get better it's going to be great and uh So she she went home and she said to her husband, she said, you know what I'm going to start doing? She hadn't been walking. She hadn't done anything. She, she, She said, I'm going to start walking four miles a day. He said, you can't do that. You haven't even started. No, I'm going to walk four miles a day. She said, no. Uh, he said, no, you can't do that. You need to start off like start a half a mile a day and then maybe up to a mile. No, no, I'm going to walk four miles a day. And uh, she told the kids, the kids said, no, you can't do that, mom. You can't walk four miles a day. You just can't do that. And uh, so they looked and they looked. uh, She she said, "No, nope, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start on this day. I'm going to start walking four miles a day. That was uh, four years ago and they haven't found her since. So, uh, that's a joke. Anyway, uh, the, um, when, you're, when your husband comes up with an, an, an idea, whether it's physical or what, vacations, hey, let's go here for a vacation. When he comes up with an idea about family outings, let's do this particular thing. Here's what you don't want to do. Don't mock him. Don't say, oh, yeah, we're going to try that again? Wonderful. Oh, yeah, oh, that will really work. You're going What kind of crazy idea are you going to come up with now? don't walk him, don't discourage him. Don't discourage him. Uh, just uh, d- do everything you can to encourage him with the plan. Do everything you can to encourage him with the plan. He comes up with an idea, then encourage him. My wife and I are very different. My wife is a detailed planner, and I, I am uh, I like to do things off the cuff. I just like, I'm, I, some, an idea comes into my mind. I think, let's go do this. Let's go do this. Uh, for a preacher, Sunday night is like Friday night. I mean, it's after church. I finished preaching, and it's been a long week, and now it's, I'm free. I don't have anything to do tomorrow. I'm just, it's a, it's a fa- for us, it was always family day, and so I thought I would always think, man, what can I do? What can I do? In fact, on Saturdays, I would always be thinking about what can I do on Monday that's going to be fun with the family? Well, uh, I, would, I would, after Sunday night was over, I, and we'd be walking out the door, I'd think, man, I'm, I'm filled with this energy, leftover energy from the day. I want to go do something fun. And so I would say things like, hey, let's just take off and go to the Grand Canyon. That's only four hours uh, or let's go to Disneyland. It's only four hours away. Let's just go there. Let's just, let's just get in the car, like right now from the church and go. And my wife would say things like, uh, David, we can't do that. And I would say, why? She said, we, well, we, we can go, but we got to stop by the house and we got to get some clothes. We got to get, you can't, you're in a suit and a tie. You don't go through Disneyland or Grand Canyon in a suit and a tie. You can't, you can't, you, we don't have anything to eat. What are we going to eat? I don't know, we'll just do, put it on a credit card or do something irresponsible. And, uh, and you know, so, uh, so and, and she'd say, oh, well, honey, you're going to regret that later. And, and so, uh, but she didn't discourage me. So here's one day I come home, and this is what we do. We'd go to the house, and we'd start to get packed up. And by the time that was all packed up, the two hours it took us everything to get ready, by that time, all my my built up energy is gone and I'm asleep on the couch and I don't want to go anywhere and do anything. So, so instead of criticizing me for being, uh, uh, for coming up with these ideas at the last minute, what, one day I drive home and she said, David, I want you to come out here. She takes me out to the car and she says, open up the trunk, I open up the trunk. Inside the trunk, there are bags, there's like six bags that have got six different sets of clothes in there. There's also a lunch that's packed, it's in there, it's all set, she said, now, Anytime you come up with an idea that we're going to go someplace at the last minute, I want you to know I have a set of play clothes for you and for me and for the kids, and so we can just leave like right after church. Anytime you want to do. What did she do? She adapted her, she took her planning and detailed personality and helped her off-the-wall husband. Uh, be able to do the things that were fun with the family she worked with me I think it's really important that you understand your husband needs your encouragement number number six you need to be present and interested when your husband's at home when your husband is at home when he gets home get into what he wants to do all he wants to do is watch tv so then watch tv with him if that's what he wants to do Maybe he doesn't want to watch TV, but we'll find out what he wants to do and sit next to him, be with him, find out where he is and and, and what he's going to do and and get in with him. Um, find out what he likes and stop what you're doing to interact with him. Listen, my daughter faith uh, when uh, when she she we enjoyed having fun together we would do we would she she, she she has all sorts of likes. She liked Facebook. She likes classwork. She likes uh, watching TV. We liked eating. We played games together. We did all sorts of things. But when she got engaged to John, something totally different happened. I could be in the middle of uh, playing a game with her or doing something fun with her, and as soon as the phone rang, ah, it's John. Boom. And I'm out. I mean, I, I, I'm like baloney. I'm like dead meat. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm just over there nothing and she and she left because he was the most important thing she dropped everything to be with john and that's the way it should be and that shouldn't stop after you get married when your husband is home let him know that you're you are wrapping your life around his desires you're wrapping your life around his desires so he's he wants to Go clean the garage, then go clean the garage with him. He wants to wash the car, then go wash the car with him. He wants to walk the dog, go walk the dog with him. What is it that he likes to do? I've had people say, well, all my husband likes to do is play video games. Find out the video games he likes to play and play them. My wife and I play a game on on our phones, our iPhone, called Catan, Settlers of Catan. The Settlers of Catan is a game that came out several years ago, and our family started playing it around the table. Well my wife and I fly across the country all the time, and, uh, and you're just bored sitting on the, on the airplane, and besides that, my wife hates being on an airplane. She said, why would people leave the perfectly good ground to get, get in a tin can and be slingshotted across the United States? She just doesn't understand the concept, and she doesn't like being up there in the tin can. So. What we've learned to do is play Catan in the tin can. Uh, and so uh, what we, uh, we, she plays, the, she, so she learns how to, we, you, you can get it on the phone. You can also get this game called Ticket to Ride on the phone, and you can play on the phone. And uh, so it distracts her, and we've we figured out it takes about four to five games to get from Las Vegas to Pensacola, Florida. And uh, so we've got that all figured out. So we play, we, she, she she found out about Catan because she found out that I like to play it. She found out about Ticket to Ride because she found out that I like to play it. And so she likes to play it too now And she, she's getting in on what I'm doing. Uh, but here's the deal. Here's the, it's a basic problem. This is a basic problem, ladies. She cheats. <laughs> she makes new rules. She, she, she says to me, there's this thing called the robber in the game Catan. okay?" And, uh, and, and she says to me, you you can't use the robber to steal my stuff. And I said, why? She said, because you love me. If you love somebody, you don't steal their stuff. She makes these rules up, and she's serious about it. She makes these rules up, and then she tells me she, then she, you, what you do in Catan, in Catan, this is what you do. You, you buy, you get property, and, and, and you build these links, and and you build these roads, and uh, I, get, I get the roads. I get all the roads, and then she steals my roads. But I can't steal. She can, but I can't. It's, it's, it's a horrible thing, and please pray for her that she'll get right with God and let me steal her stuff. Anyway, uh, but why do we do that? Why do we do that? The reason we do that is because we want to be involved in, in, in uh, each other's lives. Uh, when when if 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 he wants to walk the dog walk the dog when he goes to bed go to bed with him be with him when he comes home number eight you need to ask your husband questions and here's just some suggested questions to get involved okay What, what would you like to do after dinner I said that about Catan because I've had ladies say to me, you know, my husband likes to play video games. Well, then learn how to play video games. I don't like video games. Well, learn to like the video games. Just learn to like what he likes. Is there, is, is there any way that I can help? Ask the question. Is there any, what, what are we doing after dinner? What, what, what can I do to help? Do you mind if I sit with you? Do you mind if I get involved in what you're doing? And then ask questions how do you play that how do you do that and then can you show me how to those things in in doing these things what you're doing is in, you're encouraging your husband to be the leader that god wants him to be he'll be happier and more confident as a man and he'll become more considerate of you and that's uh, that's what it means to be a godly wife. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray and thank you for the opportunity of sharing these truths. I pray for every husband and every wife that's here that they'll take these truths. I pray for the single people that are here that they'll take these truths and they'll apply them to their lives. And Father, that uh, you'll help young men to become the husbands you want them to be and young women become the, the wives you want them to be. I pray, Father, that you just help us to have the kind of families that we'll honor you and bring glory to you with your heads bowed and eyes closed would you just take time to say Lord uh, right now just between you and the Lord just a few moments say Lord help me to take what I've heard this morning and apply it help me to be what I should be to live your truth